Great to have everybody here. Uh, seems like there's some new people. I don't know if it's because Toots and I haven't been here much because of COVID, but seems like there's some people here that are new. So welcome. Good to have you guys. Today's uh, sermon is called, What Has Your Attention? So because of the nature of the verses, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, sexual things. And so I would encourage you to do what you need to do for younger children, whether you're online or if you're sitting here. It's not going to be explicit, but there are some things we're going to talk about that might be sensitive to younger ears. I preached a few years back, and a fairly large section of the sermon had to do with pornography. And something happened after that sermon that has never happened since or it never happened before and that's I got some emails from the congregation and all of the emails were the same thing that I neglected to talk about women and their addiction to pornography unbeknownst to pastor that that happened probably two or three weeks ago he sent me some emails and said hey virtually every sermon that's preached on these passages addresses men and not women. Please make sure that you address that. And there was one thing in one of the articles that I wanted to mention, one of the articles pastor sent me, it talked, and it seems like this might be a little bit different for women, and it was that women feel very alone if they are uh, under this struggle. They don't think any other women have the struggle, and I would just encourage you, if that's the case with you, plenty of women here that would love to talk to you, um, don't be alone. That's exactly what Satan, the enemy, wants, is you to feel like you're the only one in the world with this problem. We all have the heart issue that we're going to discuss today. Let me, reach, uh, let me read Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. Jesus is speaking, and he said, You have heard that it is said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intention, forgive me, I'm going to start all over because I forgot to tell you the main thing. So women, men, when I'm reading this, put your name in it. When Matthew or Betty looks at a woman or a man to lust after them, put your name in there. We're going to start over. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his or her heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. And I'm fairly amazed at 29 and 30, Jesus repeats the same thing. Your body to be thrown into hell. So there are two main ideas that I want to focus on today. And the first one is that sin's root is much deeper than the action that exposes it and sin's potential for damning us to hell is greater than we can imagine. That slide will be up a little bit later. I switched it up and didn't let Jenny know, so you'll be able to see that. But sin's root is much deeper than the actions that expose it, 
and sin's power potential for damning us to hell is greater than we can imagine. Let's pray. Father, your word says, uh, let those who have ears hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Lord, may that be the case today. Lord, would you penetrate your, our hearts, whether we're believers or unbelievers, Lord, penetrate our hearts and instruct us in your word. Help us to understand the severity of our choice to sin and its great offense to you. And in this case, it's great offense to potentially our spouse. Lord, you are just wonderful, and we are grateful to be in your presence. We love you in Jesus' name. I didn't realize that Grand Valley was going to be here. So I want to tell you guys, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Sex inside of marriage rocks. Inside of marriage, sex rocks. Outside, it's an abomination to the Lord. And I would exhort you with everything that was in, within me. Betty and I celebrate 41 years tomorrow. And it has been a tremendous journey. Do not spoil it. Keep your virginity. Man, you got to run, run. You got to exit wherever you're at, exit. You got to punch somebody, punch them. And I'm not kidding. Recognize the seriousness of the gospel on your lives as you guys are beginning this journey. And if you have failed, repent and start again. Hear the word of the Lord on that. So a couple of years ago, I uh, was having a conversation with my son James, and he said, You know, Dad, contentment is easy until you go to the store and you see a new tool that you didn't have. We're tool junkies. Or you see some clothing that is the latest trend. Or maybe you hear with itching ears a false gospel and you say, huh, boy, that fits more of what I would like to hear, a prosperity gospel or something else. Or you hear a husband talking to his wife in such a polite way and you say, man, I wish my husband would do that. And what happens with those things? Or maybe for me, if I smell a new food, I've told you guys a hundred times, like, man, I am a food junkie. I smell a new food. What happens there? Discontentment can come in, and I would say covetousness. Because you say, why isn't my spouse more like that? Or if my spouse was like that, I would be blank. A better wife, a better husband, a better believer. I would serve, I would do this. And that's a farce. Or singles, you say, man, if I could just get married, everything would be different. No. Your contentment is based on your present decision to be content in Christ. Nothing wrong if you're single, wanting to get married. Just don't let it become an idol. What? has your attention 
Now this verse in particular, the word lust, definitely has a sexual connotation. And it also has a connotation of a lingering look. Now, if I'm walking down the street and I see an attractive woman, I don't sin if I look at her. I sin if I linger. Or if in that lingering, my mind creates a new episode of why couldn't Betty sound like, look like, be like, whatever that is. So recognize, again, we're not going to talk a tremendous amount about sexual lust, but we're going to talk about what I am convinced is the core of Jesus' message in that first verse. Look at what he says. He says, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, if a man or woman looks at a man or woman with lust in his heart or her heart, they've committed sin. So what's the point here? Adultery could be a number of, I don't even know what that is, a noun or an adjective or a verb, whatever that is. Jesus could have put anything there because what he's saying is he's reflecting back to something that's much, much deeper. And that is the heart of men and women that is wicked. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but from the world. So the story I told you about my son, contentment, breeding discontentment, breeding covetousness as you look on something, these words all belong, I would say, maybe in the same family. I don't know if they're totally interchangeable, but the idea that they represent is, and that is wanting something that you shouldn't. Wanting something that is sin. Again, I mentioned earlier, being single, wanting to be married, that's not a sin. When it becomes an idol, wanting Betty to be more whatever, it's not a sin, but Betty and I talk about that. I'm all, I don't wash my hands of her looking for someone to replace her. So again, the last couple of verses where we're talking about Christ is serious. And when he talks about adultery here, if you look at 1 Corinthians um, 6-9, Jesus says, no sexually immoral, no adulterers or anyone practicing homosexuality will get into the kingdom of God. This is not just about committing an act of adultery or fornication. This is about your very salvation. Again, you know, women, women who are married, do you long for and fantasize in your mind of a husband who's different than yours? You know, men, do you do the same for, towards a woman or any other object that could become an idol that defines you as a covetous person where you're scheming and dreaming and fantasizing about whatever that thing or issue is. Again, the lust discussed here in this passage is that of a sexual nature. But discontentment, covetousness, lusting, again, are what we're going to focus on. And it has to do with wanting something that's not yours. I want to repeat the two main ideas. 
Sin's root is deeper than the action that exposes it. Sin's potential for damning us to hell is greater than we can imagine. Earlier in chapter 5, Jesus says, I did not come to destroy the prophets and the law, but to fulfill them. And Jesus fulfilled them, I see, in a couple of ways. Of course, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he ransomed wicked men and women from the curse of the law, which is death. So that was the main focus and main function of Jesus fulfilling the law. But he's doing it right here, and he did it constantly as he was walking through towns. What is he doing? How is he fulfilling the law? By redefining it, by clarifying it, and giving instruction to those around them, him, what the law was, what the purpose of the law was. Many thought the purpose of the law was to breed righteousness in people by actions. And what do the scriptures say? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our actions stem from a wicked heart before we're converted, and so their wickedness before the Father. So Jesus is instructing here, and what he's saying is, hey, it's not just the act of adultery that I'm talking about. It's the thing that's much, 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 much deeper. One, beginning with the wicked heart, ends up with the you know, exposing of whatever that sin is. Again, we're talking today about lust, sexual lust and other lusts. The point of the law, as it talks about in Galatians 3, is to point us to Christ not to point us to good works. When we come to Christ, we fall at the cross and he crushes us. But the best thing that he does, well, we're going to get to that in a minute, sorry. Um, Matthew 15, the Jesus, the disciples, scribes and Pharisees are walking down the road. They're in between towns. Disciples get hungry. They grab some grain that's literally grown right there. They eat some of the grain. And listen to what the Pharisees say. Pharisees and scribes say, Hey, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? That's a whole other sermon. They transgress the tradition of the elders. Jesus says, Why do you break the commands of God? Again, we're not going to go there, but what I'm going to explain to you is, then Jesus says to the scribes, the Pharisees, the disciples, He's fulfilling the law by bringing clarity and understanding to what is true to the heart of God in pleasing Yahweh. And he says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of his heart are murders and blasphemies and lies and adultery, adulteries and hypocrisy. So again, the verse we're looking at, 27... It's not the act of adultery that's the end all. It's the wicked heart. And then later Jesus is talking and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are like whited sepulchers, beautiful on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. And again, there's a couple of conversations that goes on talking about the scribes and Pharisees. The disciples say, Man, you offended those brothers. He says, I don't care. And, he, and the disciples say, well, what did, what did you mean by that? And Jesus is very clear. He says, you eat food, goes into the stomach, and it comes out as waste. He said, but out of the heart 
are the issues of life, whether they are righteous issues or whether they are issues of death. I want to give you a, a, a great example because, now, give you a great example. You guys know the story where Jesus and the disciples are in the temple and they are literally within visual of the treasury. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he, and he says, you see all those guys putting, those rich people putting in large sums of money? And then a woman comes up and puts in what? A couple of mites, they call them. Let's translate that today. Some guy comes in and he's got handfuls of coins or he's got stacks of 20s that he's thrown in because Jesus and the disciples could see what this guy and what this lady were doing. And what does Jesus say? That this woman put in more than they did. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm going to say, Jesus, man, you got to be blind. She put in two pennies. These guys are tossing $1,000 bills. What do you mean she put in more? He's clarifying the law for them. And what does he say? They gave out of their abundance. But she, being poor, gave out of her lack. She gave everything. There's a heart issue that we're discussing that's throughout the scriptures, especially in today's passage, that Jesus is trying to nail you and I on. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, because out of it are the issues of life. Now, I'm asking a dumb question. Do you think Jesus wants us wearing flak jackets? Is that how we're protecting our heart? No. He's not talking literally. He's talking um, spiritually. We have to protect our hearts, the things that we allow with our eyes, the things we allow with our ears. Those things penetrate and go to the core of who we are. Now, the best thing about Jesus fulfilling the law is that he made opportunity for what we define as being born again. You remember when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus? He says, man, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, does a man crawl back up in his mother's womb and get birthed a second time? And Jesus says, no, no, no. You know, again, you're, you're taking this thing literally. What I'm talking about is you must be born of the flesh, you must be born a person, and you must be born of the Spirit, where your heart is renewed. And you're, I'm sorry, it's not even renewed. You get a heart transplant. You go from a stony heart of flesh to a new soft heart of flesh that is capable of following the commands of God. Because it's not about tick marks. It's not about, I don't do adultery, I don't lie, I don't steal. It's about our hearts. Now, the second part of this whole thing is like as good as the first part. When we are born again, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So not only is our heart born again, and it's capable, but the capability comes because the Holy Spirit empowers us to hear, to see, to discern, and to be strong, and to make the right decisions. We've got the capable heart, but now, in some measure, as the Scripture says, the next two verses we're going to read... Some of this is up to you and I. And if we are not choosing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, choosing to give our attention to the things of God versus the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of one's lifestyle, 
our heart is going to continue to do what it says in Proverbs, I think, like a dog returning to its vomit. You and I, guys, you and I were bathing in vomit before we became believers, or eating it, whatever. And we go back to that. If we're not walking in the process of sanctification, and there's a bit of a two-edged sword here because, and I want to be careful so you guys don't misunderstand me, the act of adultery, the act of fornication is sin. But it goes back to the heart. Now that we've been given a good heart, we can have acts of righteousness. In cooperation with the guarding of our heart, the second thing we must do that Jesus tells us is to kill off, to remove, to destroy, to sever all hindrances that stand in the way of you and I choosing obedience. Now I'm going to paraphrase a Matthew Henry quote that I, I found online that summarizes this up very well. He says, hey, if you and I have to go have surgery to save our lives, first of all, we know that surgery is painful. They're cutting us. And then afterwards, the healing process. We're going to need drugs to get rid of the pain. We're going to need therapy to bring that thing back to its right self. I, had, I blew my bicep out. I had surgery. First thing I had to do was take a thimble and do this. I couldn't do it. I never been in so much pain. If I, and Matthew Henry's saying, if we choose to do that, to bring these fleshly bodies back to health, are we going to shrink back when we're talking about eternity and the painful separation that comes when you and I choose to say no to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the temptations, the tickling of our ears that come from the world. Then I want to read a quote. Ah, you know what, I'm going to ad-lib on this quote. I don't think Ginny's got it up there. It's by a guy named John Bloom. I think he writes for um, Desiring God. And he says, referring to this second group of passages where Jesus says, pluck out, cut off. He says, yes, the mutilization imagery is a metaphor. It's an example that in essence does not, can't happen. We're really not going to cut our hand off or our eye. But it is not hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggeration. So he's saying, yes, it's an example that's not going to happen in real life, but Jesus is not exaggerating. And he says, because we know that literally cutting off my hand or plucking out my eye doesn't change the thing because it's a heart issue. It's not the act. That's the whole point of Christ's coming, to show us at the core of everything is our heart. And if that heart is born again, then that heart is going to speak, going to do, and going to act righteously. But he goes on to say, but radical and painful amputation of stumbling blocks out of the lives may be the only way to escape falling headlong into sins insidiously, 
deceptive snare. Are you willing to look into the eyes of your particular sin that this scenario might describe in order to see the reality of potential eternal damnation and make the extreme calculation to chop off whatever is necessary to rid yourself of it? <clears throat> and then he goes on to tell some telltale signs of danger. And one is a loss of a sense of need for holiness. We don't think we need to be holy. We tell off color jokes. We make jokes about scriptural things that are just totally inappropriate. You want to get punched? Make a joke about marriage in front of me. It doesn't apply to me or to those around me that I see entertaining worldly ideas and lifestyles. That's one thing that I'm grateful to Mac for is that they have taught us to have conversations with one another and say, hey, brother, and be able to confront somebody in love knowing that we are in the same boat that they are. But we're not going to be afraid to call them out. Because as I said to you young people, like, man, you guys have a heritage that you can build a new generation who haven't succumbed to the lies of the enemy. You look at the divorce rate in the Christian church, it stinks. You guys can build a new, a new dynamic for that thing. Take charge of that. Or pride in one's lifestyle that's visually righteous. If you guys have read any of the Gospels, you know that the Sadducees and Pharisees were dressed to the nines. They had the big gold chains. They had the nice tassels. When they were going to drop their money in the box, ring a bell, you know, smile for a selfie as they're putting the money in. <laughs> Scriptures talks about when you're fasting. You know, don't go, I'm so poor. You know, they are seeking the fame of men versus the approval of God. And again, we're talking about telltale signs of danger. There's no sense of urgency to pray, to read, or to deny yourself. For 15 years, Betty and I got together with four couples. For 15 years, we got together once a month. All four couples were Christians. We were all involved in church. We taught, we taught Sunday school. We led missions trips. We spent money on missions. Man, we were doing it right. Two years ago, we find out that one of the guys, he's, I'm 63, so this is two years ago, 61. One of the guys has got a 20-year-old girlfriend. 20-year-old girlfriend. He's been on missions trips. His family went to missionary school. Brothers and sisters went to mission. I mean, they were a family. Brothers and sisters of believers. Got a 20-year-old girlfriend. So he repents. They were getting separated. And she said, you know what? You can sleep on the couch. And she gets a text in the middle of the night from this dude's girlfriend. Come get your husband. Then she finds out he's an alcoholic. Has been. Then she finds out he's gambled away all of his money. 
And then tragedy hits. Six months ago, his 30-year-old daughter dies, has a heart attack. He comes to the funeral drunk. Don't you dare think that that can't happen to you if you're not paying attention to what your soul and your heart needs to continue the process of sanctification. What's, your, what's got your attention? Does discontentment have your attention? Or does gratitude have your attention? The woman with the two mites. Lord, I'm so grateful to you, Adonai. I give you all the cares of my life. I don't have bread or food for tomorrow. That's okay. You got me. There is a wonderful, I don't even think it's a sermon, it's a teaching by a guy named, I think it's Tony Reinke, who will have your attention? I'd ask you to look it up and listen to it. The entire thing is basically about media and like the video presence that we are all sucked into. But he really makes some phenomenal points in there that just go right along with the sermon we're talking about today. I wanted to tell you, I think sermons do a variety of things. Um, my intention is not to give you three steps to security. You know, I'm not going to give you the how-to per se, because you got to do that with you and the Holy Spirit. And if you're not, doesn't matter what I tell you, it ain't going to help. Because what works for you, the Holy Spirit knows, because He knows exactly what makes you tick, and He's going to tweak that thing specifically in your life to bring you to the continual sanctification. I just want to stir the pot. I just want to stir the pot and prick your conscience. Hebrews 2.1 says, We must therefore pay even more attention to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. If you've heard the call to repentance, if you've heard the call to the crucified life, and you've chosen to be a believer, hallelujah. Keep listening. Uh... I don't know if 1 Peter 1.13 is going to be up there. I'm not going to read it because I, I need to end. Um, I do want to say this. Sorry, it's another story. Uh, a year or two ago, Betty and I were with this other couple, and we're talking, and somehow the conversation evolves into, and I'm going to tell you something I said. It was very appropriate what I said, but um, whatever this person said, I said, well, have you ever considered exercising? And they said to me, well, no, I have a full-time job and I have some other responsibilities at home. I mean, what's that? You have a full-time job. So do 90% of Americans, right? They wouldn't exercise something that they desperately needed to do because they had a full-time job. What's my point? It was a stupid excuse. Don't do that. Don't tell me that you don't have time for God's Word. Don't tell me you don't have time to pray. Don't tell me you don't have time to serve in the church. Because if you're that busy, you're too busy. I mean, I, I don't even know how to answer that. I, my, I, I almost started laughing, thinking that this person was joking. You have choices. Choose, choose, choose rightly, as the Scriptures say. So I'm going to end with this. I would sure love to command you, 
but I can't do that. So I will ask you, would you consider taking a simple challenge? Would you, for one week, take a daily time inventory of how and where you spend God's gift of time for you, pay attention, do the homework right, so that you'll have an accurate account of what and who has your attention. At the end of that, prayerfully ask the Lord, like, am I good? Where am I missing it? And then the Lord's going to help you alter what you consume within your soul. Now, Ginny is going to put up three different PDFs on the, uh, on the website so you guys will be able to get them. One PDF uh, is literally, we created like a, uh, whatever, a full week, Sunday through Saturday, half-hour time slots. I want you guys to fill it out. Please, I, I beg you, one week. Take you a couple of minutes a day so that you can see, man, I spend four hours a week on FaceTime or Facebook and I spend 25 minutes on praying. You can't lie with what you're going to write down. Don't deceive yourself. Be accurate. And the other two PDFs are just things that I found helpful. One is you can read through the New Testament in 90 days. You can read the entire New Testament four times a year by reading three chapters a day. And some days it's only one chapter. The other PDF is how to read the Bible through in a year. And I think it's like seven chapters a day. And you need to get God's Word into you. So I would plead with you, take that challenge. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you loved us enough to go to the cross, but thank you that you loved us enough to kick us in the shins, in the spiritual shins. Lord, we know you don't exaggerate. We know you don't lie. And you say it's better for us to cut off our arm, pluck out our eye, and to go into heaven dismembered, disfigured, rather than going to hell because we chose not to cut away the things in our lives that draw us deeper into sin or take us away from righteousness. Lord, have mercy. Lord, I would pray that you would give everyone who's heard this message or will hear it, Lord, ears to hear and a soft heart. Break our hearts, Lord God, that we might clearly want to pay more and more attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen.